The reading set for this morning is John chapter 6, the first 14 verses. But then we're going to read some more verses from uh, further on in the chapter where Jesus teaches about the significance of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he'd performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew himself again to a mountain by himself. The next section tells the story of Jesus walking on the water. It's a theme we're going to be following next week. We'll move on to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and have had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? 
How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. The phrase bread and circuses hadn't been invented in Jesus' time. came a, a bit later from a, a Roman satirist who said, all politicians have to do to keep people happy is give them what they want, bread and circuses, food and entertainment. But although the phrase wasn't there, this is basically what the people following Jesus were looking for, bread and circuses. They got the entertainment because they were seeing the signs, the miracles that Jesus did. And John says that's why they followed him, that's why the crowds were there. And now with this latest miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, they kept food as well. What more can you want? Wow! This is really the in thing. This is the thing to do. Let's follow Jesus. Bread and circuses. There are some people who have great difficulty with miracles. And there are those commentators and others uh, who say, well, miracles just don't happen. And there's a logical, natural explanation for everything. And the one they attach to this story is that it's not a miracle of 
provision. It's not that Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes and multiplies it. It's a miracle of sharing. What happened was a boy comes forward and he's got five barley loaves and two fish. He's, he's obviously a poor person. Barley loaf was the, the cheapest type of bread that the poorest people ate. We're talking, you know, bread rolls, not great big loaves. And uh, the, the word that's used for the fish means pickled fish, something cheap and cheerful that, again, poor people lived on. So this poor boy comes, and out of his poverty, he offers what he's got to Jesus. And this touches the conscience of all the other people there, and all those who've got food take their food out and share it with everybody else. And that, say some people, is what really happened with the feeding of the 5,000. The trouble is, if we accept that, first of all, we have to say that John and the other gospel writers, because this is the the big miracle that all four of them write about, are somewhat disingenuous, if not dishonest, because that isn't what they say. But also, it doesn't explain the reaction of the people. You see, the people get fed, and immediately they're thinking, who is this? Is this the prophet that was going to come? Is this the guy that's going to be the king? You see, their minds go back to Moses and the story in the wilderness and Moses and the manna comes and the people are fed. And they think Moses, he brought the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He provided for their needs in the desert. He brought them into the promised land. This could be the guy that frees us from the rule of the Romans. The guy who makes us rich and powerful and important once again. And I suggest that you don't get that sort of reaction from somebody who's just persuaded you to share your lunch with the person next to you. You get it from seeing somebody who has done a miracle so amazing, so powerful, that no human being could possibly do it. And you have to ask that question, who is he? How did this happen? What does it mean? Where is it going? We read on to the... the teaching that Jesus gave them and their response to it because it all gets rather confused and challenging. They want a popular leader. They want someone who will drive the Romans out. They want someone who will give them what they want. Bread and circuses for the rest of their lives. And Jesus challenges it. And some of them lose their enthusiasm. We'll pick up three challenges that come from Jesus' teaching. The first one is this, and it's very simple. Believe in Jesus. Believe in me, he says, as the son of man. It's a, a curious phrase. It goes back to the Old Testament and the book of Daniel. And he's talking about the Messiah, the one whom God would send. Believe in me as the bread of life. And they get a bit iffy about that. Believe in me as the one who can give eternal life. In other words, Jesus is saying, you need to believe that I am more than a miracle worker, more than a prophet, more than a teacher. And he can't say it directly in words because it would have been blasphemy in the eyes of the people and they would have stoned him. I am God become human, Emmanuel, God with us. 
But they were picking up the implication of it. It was shocking teaching. It didn't make sense. It was hard to grasp. You know what we say. You know, somebody says that I am God, we think, well, they're bonkers. Um, you know, what kind of person? Or they're out to manipulate us. There's some kind of a person who, who's trying to persuade us to do something or take our money off us. We don't take seriously claims like this. But here's Jesus seeming to say that he's God and yet doing the miracles to prove it. And this is the center, the heart of the Christian faith. John, at the end of his gospel, explains why he's written the gospel. It said that we can, but so that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. That's what Christianity is about. Not that God send a prophet, not that God send a good teacher or a miracle worker, but God himself became flesh and lived amongst us. So if that's true, the second challenge is this. They say, well, what have we got to do? And the second challenge is this, that we have to feed on Jesus. It's all rather confusing language, isn't it? Because um, it's, I don't know, a fairly gross sort of illustration, isn't it? Now, they knew that Jesus was speaking metaphorically. Cannibalism was no more in, in those days than it is now. But the idea of feeding was to, to take in, to absorb in an intimate way. But it took them time to understand what Jesus was talking about. Like a lot of the things Jesus said, it only really became clear after the crucifixion and the resurrection. When they saw Jesus' body broken on the cross and when they saw Jesus' blood shed on the cross, then they began to understand a whole lot of stuff that he had said previously. And the result of his death and resurrection was to make life available to all who come to him and put their trust in him. You see, we eat bread, and bread can be, mean any kind of food, but we eat, and what we eat becomes part of us. You know, if you're putting on weight, you know very much how much a part of us the food that we eat becomes. But for all of us, it becomes part of us, it's, it energizes us, it keeps us alive. It's How much more could, could something be us? That's why this is the, the picture. You can't get a more sort of intimate relationship, can't you, than taking something in and it becoming part of you. And this is the kind of concept that Jesus is trying to say that faith in him is about. We accept Jesus and his spirit lives in us. And that's a mystery that nobody can really explain it in words. You experience it, you know it. He becomes part of us and we live in him. We eat bread, it energizes us. We accept Jesus, his spirit empowers us, enables us to live the kind of life that he wants us to live, to do the things that he wants us to do. You see, being a Christian is not just believing certain things. There are key beliefs. It's not just going to church. Going to church is important, but that's not all of it. It's not just living a certain sort of lifestyle, though lifestyle is important. It is accepting Jesus 
as Savior and Lord, being born again. Earlier in John's Gospel, Nicodemus, religious leader, theologian, he'd come to see Jesus and he thought following God was just tick-boxing certain beliefs. And Jesus shocks him by saying, no, you must be born again. You've got to start afresh. It's a whole new life. That's what being a Christian is. It's being filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Is that your experience? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour? If not, you can now. Jesus repeatedly says through that passage, anyone who comes to me, I'm not going to turn them away. In the uh, nine o'clock service, we sang, <coughs> sang an old hymn, To God Be the Glory. And it's got a line in it that says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. You say, you cannot be too bad to come to Jesus. On the cross as he's dying, there's a thief who's done nothing good with his life and has got no time to put it right, but he turns to Jesus and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's nothing that can prevent us coming to Jesus except our own choice not to. Jesus says, come, believe in me. I will accept you. I will give you eternal life. How do you do that? You just ask. In your head, in your mind, just be serious with God. Lord, I want to know what it is to be born again, to have new life, to be filled with your spirit. When I became a Christian, I prayed something like that. Nothing happened. So I prayed it again the next night. Nothing happened. And the next night, not very clever in those days, perhaps not now, um, but just kept on praying it six months. Then I was about 18 at the time, and uh, that Sunday morning, the Bible class at the church was being led by a little old lady. Little old ladies are God's secret weapon. <laughs> the youth leader was away. And I was the big radical in those days. I don't believe in miracles, all that kind of stuff. There's a scientific explanation for everything. And this lady looked at me and she said, Michael. You know you're in trouble when people use your full name, don't they? Michael. Are you really a Christian? And I said, yes, of course I am. And for the first time, I realized it. Something happened inside me and I realized God had answered that prayer. The first time I prayed it, didn't have to pray it for six months, I was just a bit slow on the uptake. Yes, God had answered it. That's all you have to do. But it's great to talk to somebody and talk it through and work through what you need to do and where you go next. So if, it's, if you don't know Jesus, ask him now, make himself real to you. And then talk it over, pray with somebody while we're having coffee at the end of the service. But for those who already know and love Jesus, who've experienced that transformation, let's finish with challenge number three that Jesus gives. And that is get your priorities right. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. 
if there's ever been a society that works for food that perishes, it's uh, our society. We have such an affluent lifestyle. There are so many things we have. And does that make us happy? No, there are so many more things that we want. And we miss the things that are important. J.C. Ryle was the very first Bishop of Liverpool back in Victorian times. And amongst other things, he wrote a series of books on the Gospels called Expository Thoughts on the Gospels. And as he got going, so he got more ambitious with it. And his, uh, his ones on John are quite an extensive couple of volumes. But I was looking up what he said about this, and I thought, actually, he puts it better than I can put it. Um, it's old language, and it, it's very male-orientated, so it's men do this and men do that, but you'll understand that it applies to everybody. He says this, We should mark thirdly in this passage what Christ advises. He tells us to labor for the meat that endureth to everlasting life. He would have us take pains to find food and satisfaction for our souls. That food is provided in rich abundance in him, but he that would have it must diligently seek it. How are we to labor? There is but one answer. We must labor in the use of all appointed means. We must read our Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure. We must wrestle earnestly in prayer like men contending with a deadly enemy for life. We must take our whole heart to the house of God and worship and hear like those who listen to the reading of a will. I love that metaphor. I'd never thought of it before. You come to hear the reading of a will. Why are you there? Because you're going to get something out of it. You come to worship expecting God to bless and listen ready to hear what God is to say. We must fight daily against sin, the world, and the devil, like those who fight for liberty and must conquer or be slaves. These are the ways we must walk in if we would find Christ and be found of him. This is laboring. This is the secret of getting on about our souls. Labor like this is no doubt very uncommon. In carrying it on, we shall have little encouragement from man and shall often be told that we are extreme and go too far. Strange and absurd as it is, the natural man is always fancying that we may take too much thought about religion and refusing to see that we are far more likely to take too much thought about the world. But whatever man may say, the soul will never get spiritual food without labor. We must strive. We must run. We must fight. We must throw our whole heart into our soul's affairs. It is the violent who take the kingdom. That challenges me a lot because the temptation is as you go on in the Christian life to take it easier. Oh yeah, of course I'm going to read my Bible every day, but oh, I'm in a bit of a rush today, so I just skim through it and glance at the notes and a quick prayer and that will do. And um, yeah, of course I'm going to be in church, but oh, didn't like the music this morning. That's not a comment on today. Um, <laughs> Preacher was a bit dull. Heating wasn't on properly. You know, and a thousand and one distractions. Get your priorities right. Labor. Being a Christian is, yeah, it's a joy and a blessing and there are all sorts of good things in it, but it's also hard work. And many 
of these followers at this point left Jesus. They wanted bread and circuses, and Jesus was saying, hard labor, work hard, get your priorities right. And they turned away. What about us? What are the challenges in our life, and how are we going to meet them? What about us as a church? There are all sorts of challenges ahead, and Tim prayed for some of them, and we're praying with the, the Pray 12 stuff. Are we going to put as our priority being like Jesus? Working for food that lasts? Are we under the grace of God going to create a church that's going to be a blessing even more than it has been in the past than is now for the people of this community and the wider world? That's what God calls us to. It's not easy. But if we feed on him and he fills us and empowers us, then we can do, as Paul says in Ephesians, more than we can ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that incredible miracle of feeding people with physical bread. We thank you for the miracle of feeding us spiritually, giving us food that lasts forever. Father, if we don't yet know you, may this morning be the point where we become yours. And for those that do know you, Father, re-energize us, re-enthuse us, Commit us to serving and following you to the ultimate of our ability and of your power in us. Do that for us individually, Lord, and do that for us as a church. For Jesus' sake, amen.